We're now going to invite our children to be dismissed for their time of worship. They get to take their new Bibles and things to children's worship together, and I'm asked to remind parents that you can pick your children up after this service. You must pick your children up (laughs) in the kindergarten first grade room upstairs. The gospel reading for this 11th Sunday in the season of Pentecost comes from Matthew chapter 15. Then scribes and Pharisees came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands before they eat. To verse 10. And Jesus called the crowd to him and said to them, Listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached him and said, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? Jesus answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are the blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. Jesus said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But whatever comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles. For out of the house. Heart comes evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But Jesus did not answer her at all. His disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. Jesus answered, I was sent Only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. Jesus answered, it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed immediately. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Let's pray together. We stop before the hearing of a sermon to pray, God, ask you if you might allow us to hear what is ours to hear. That amidst all of the words that are said, spoken, sung, 
that we might hear the one eternal word that could help us individually and as a faith community be who we're called to be in this time and place. For surely, God, you are waiting and hoping and praying yourself that some church, some faith community will rise and speak and be the people you dream them to be. So, Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. We unite ourselves to you, God. But in this moment of prayer, we'll also unite ourselves to every other human being on the planet this day. That we might feel the connection we have even to our enemies. For you are the parent of us all. So teach us the hard work of love. Even as we give ourselves to you. By praying the prayer that Jesus long ago taught his first disciples to pray. Praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. A few weeks ago, I took a walk in Cherokee Park with Eric Burnett. I've told you that Eric wrote a book about the Cherokee Park and uh, its beauty and Frederick Law Olmsted. Eric has experienced and seen so much in the park, I wanted to see it through his eyes. And in fact, I did see and discern things that I'd never seen before in the park that's just up the street from our very church. One of the things Eric knew how to do was to spot birds that I didn't even know were in our parks. He asked me if I'd ever seen an indigo bunting, and of course, the answer for me is no. He said, you can tell it's got a certain sound, it's got a certain way that it flies. And he started looking in this meadow where he had seen them before. And sure enough, he heard the sound and he saw the the, the flight and he pointed. And there in the tree was the most vivid blue bird I've ever seen. If you would have taken a picture of the bird and asked me, is this in Cherokee Park? I would have said, probably not because surely I would have seen it, right? How could you miss a bird that beautiful? And yet, if you don't know something's there, you don't see it. And if you don't think something's possible, if it never occurs to you to look, if you don't even envision a vivid blue bird, you'll never see the indigo bunting. I tell you that because I think that's the way many people experience God and faith. They don't see God in the same way that I think the Bible wants us to see God as one who is gracious and abundant, who is inclusive and reconciling, whose whole intention is to redeem and to renew and reunite this world to make us one again. And then one day, you see this God. You hear it in a passage of Scripture or you feel it deep in your heart, And you ask yourself, is that in the Bible? And your first thought is, no, probably not, because I've never seen it in the Bible. But again, if you don't think it's there, 
If it doesn't occur to you to look, if you've never even envisioned a God who is ever expanding and ever loving, even though it's in the Bible from beginning to end, it's possible to miss it. Instead, what many people see when they go to the Bible is a God who resembles, well, surprise, surprise, it resembles them. God's not into diversity. God's into control, into uniformity. God doesn't love all. God loves some, just like we do. And the gospel's not expanding. The gospel is exclusive. It's for a few. There's one specific way. It just happens to be their way. And so this idea of a God who is loving is sort of like those airline miles you get on the credit cards. Let's just say some rules and conditions and exclusions apply. You've got to separate the wheat from the chaff. You've got to do the work. You've got to be closed. And eventually it becomes tribal. Our little group that's entitled and special and privileged and even chosen. So that when the idea of an ever-expanding gospel, a God of abundance and love is presented to them, it offends them. Do you hear Simon Peter come to Jesus and say, ooh, you offended the Pharisees. It offends people's sensibility. They think people who talk about an expansive and inclusive God are heretics. And they get mad as if they really don't want this idea of an ever-expanding gospel of God to even be true. So they accuse this abundant gospel And people like me who preach it as being liberal with the grace of God. Does anyone even care about the rules around here, they'll ask? So the Pharisees, the religious leaders, come to Jesus and ask, Your disciples, they don't even wash their hands according to the ceremonial rules? What's up with these guys? This is why it's so important that we do what we do here every Sunday. It's why we gather. It's why we read the text Sunday after Sunday to remind ourselves of who God is. God, the great mystery of life, is the source of healing and abundance. A a God who is in us, but we're all so in God so that we're all one together, not divided. Can you see how this view, this theme that runs throughout the Bible can affect everything that we're seeing on the news today? What if we really are one? One human family. We read the story in the book of Genesis of, about Joseph and his brothers. As one whose name is Joseph and also one of the younger, youngest in my family, the one who got the coat of many colors, I know all about this dynamic that's going on between Joseph and his brothers. This dad always liked Joey best kind of thing. 
The brothers resent Joseph. And their wounds blind them. They can't see the good. When people are blinded, they cannot see the good. The brothers are blinded. They don't see that their father, Jacob, has sent his beloved son, Joseph, out into the woods, out into the middle of battles, out into the middle of herding all these sheep to find his brothers in another city. They don't see how Joseph has gone from town to town to town to try to locate his brothers. Instead, what they see is this one who represents a wound to them. And so they get their brother Joseph, and at first they decide they're going to kill him, but then they decide to sell him into slavery. Let's just pause here for a second. I thought about making a little joke about Carly and Stephen, my kids, about how Carly might have stolen Stephen into slavery at some point in his life, except it's not funny. It's not funny. They sold their brother into slavery. But over the course of 13 chapters... Joseph moves from being in prison to being in the palace of the Pharaoh. He rose up through the ranks and becomes a leader. And so decades later, when the brothers come to Egypt because there's a famine in the land, they don't recognize Joseph who's sitting in the high chair. They don't recognize that the one they've come begging to is the one that they sold into slavery Now their brother Joseph holds all the power. And you wonder, as Joseph recognizes his brothers, what will he do? How will he act? What revenge will he seek? But Joseph, the man of God, flips the script. And instead of seeking revenge or retaliation, he welcomes his brothers in and includes them in the bounty that he's received. Richard Rohr talks about transcending and including. Transcending your ego and all that might cause you to seek revenge. And then including these brothers who have wronged him into the family of God again. Come, he says, come live here. I will take care of you, and we will be family together again. This is what Jesus would do with Simon Peter. Simon Peter denies him. Jesus welcomes him back. It's what Jesus would have done with Judas Iscariot, but Judas didn't stick around long enough to see what God might have done. It's who God is. God is always gracious. And the gospel is always seeking to include more and more. And so we read from the prophet Isaiah this morning. Isaiah holding this vision of a God who begins with the Jewish people but grows bigger. More inclusive, more generous, more diverse. Isaiah writes, the foreigners will join to God and they will joyfully offer their offerings to God and they'll be accepted by God and all will come because God's house will be a house of prayer for all people. All people. This ever-expanding gospel began at really almost the very beginning. Genesis 12 
God says to Abram, I'll bless you, and through you, everyone gets blessed. In other words, you're chosen, but you're not the only blessed one or the only loved one. You are blessed in order to be a blessing. And then centuries later, Jesus would come. And he would say, I didn't come to save those who were already found. I came to seek and to save the lost because all need to be included into the family of God. It's so beautiful. It's so hopeful. It's so like God. Unless you're blind to it. If you're blind to it, it feels foreign. It feels frightening. It feels false. It threatens our place. It threatens our privilege. I mean, if God loves all, well then, how am I special? And if everyone gets in, if God is abundant and if there's enough grace for all, how am I going to feed my competitive ego? What do I do with all these things that I've done? And so we miss the beauty of the gospel and we reduce the gospel to something that is smaller and more exclusive. My friend Kevin Cosby, pastor of St. Stephen's Baptist Church, largest black Baptist church in the state, worries that the seeds of white privilege, nationalism and racism, are found in this very us versus them, good versus bad, we're the only pure ones, this tribal mentality of what we might call blind Christianity. Christianity that doesn't see the goodness and the bigness of God, but rather worships the God of scarcity and of fear, the God whose love is limited to a few, to the elect, and they don't see the whole sweep of the Bible because they pulled a couple of verses out that talk about judgment and shame and fear and hell that says that, that imply that God loves some of God's children but not all of God's children. But when we're convinced that we know who God loves and who God doesn't love, it's not a big leap from there to God abhors some. God rejects some. And it's not a very big leap from there to policies that begin to ignore the poor and the powerless and the voiceless and to begin to create politics of racism and even Nazism. Jesus says they're blind guides of the blind. They, in other words, they, they, they just cannot see. And if the blind guide the blind, they're both going to fall into the pit. It is the work of churches like this one to offer an alternative understanding of the gospel. Not a gospel of exclusion but a God of radical inclusion, of love and grace and forgiveness, of abundance and a place for everyone where no one and no thing gets wasted. For God is the ultimate recycler, the one who restores and brings all things into wholeness.
And then this stunning exchange between Jesus and the the Canaanite woman, this foreigner who comes begging for mercy for her daughter. Two times the disciples say, send her away. That's their mentality. They have a mentality of scarcity. They said that to Jesus in the previous chapter. These people are hungry. Send them away. And Jesus explains, I have been sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, he says to the woman, I'm sorry. It's a closed party. You can't crash it. It's only for the elect. Now, some, think, some people think that Jesus was testing the woman. Or maybe he was teasing with the woman. Or maybe he was just kind of role-playing to get this story out. There are some who think maybe he's being apologetic here. That he's saying, hey, I'd like to help, but... My father made the rules, and I can't break the rules. I want to suggest another possibility. What if Jesus was a man of his time and his culture? And maybe Jesus, like many of us, has to unlearn the sexism and racism that he was raised in. I've only come to... Help the lost sheep at the house of Israel. And she falls to her knees and says, Lord, help me. And I wonder if he hears the echo of Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a present help. Lord, help me. He counters her with a quotation. It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Not fair? What's that mean? How fair is it to have grace for some and not for all? Is, is he saying that God is like Jacob, Joseph's father, who loved one child more than the other child? Is that what he's saying? Does Jesus think it's fair to call one people children and another group of people dogs? This woman had been told. She'd been dismissed. She'd been mansplained. But she does not concede and she will not be dismissed. She persists. Yes, Lord. But even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. There is enough love. There is enough grace. Enough healing for us all. And she calls Jesus into this compassion and generosity that really is God. And invites Jesus to see and embrace even a bigger dimension of this God's abundant love. This woman, a foreigner, became Jesus' teacher to see what perhaps even he was blind to, that God is bigger and more beautiful than we ever dreamed possible. When you see this gospel, when it awakens in your heart and mind, it, it affects every dimension of your life. Who gets included? Well, tax collectors and prostitutes and foreigners and women and self-righteous, we're all part of the great one. How often should we forgive? Seven times? Seventy times seven. Who's my neighbor? The person right next? No. 
your neighbors, whoever has a need. And what is it that qualifies us for heaven? Is it a strict baptismal policy? What, what exactly do you have to do? Jesus said to the man next to him on the cross, Today, today, you'll be with me in paradise. It's a big gospel. Edwin Markham wrote, He drew a circle that kept me out. Heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that took him in. The abundant grace of God. Let's pray together. Like an indigo bunting, it seems too good to be true. But when we see it, it's true, too true not to be real. It's too true not to be true. It's too true not to be your way, O oh God. So may we live with reverence and humility and a heart that mirrors yours open and ready to embrace all in your love, even our enemies. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.